It's my pleasure to introduce our next witness who is attending virtually, Dr. Robert Malone. Welcome, Dr. Malone. So, Dr. Malone, can I ask you to, for the record, state your full name and then spell your first name and last name for the record? My full name is Robert Wallace Malone, R-O-B-E-R-T-M-A-L-O-N-E. And Dr. Malone, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do so swear. And you had provided with me, uh, to me earlier, a copy of your CV, which I've entered as an exhibit in this matter, TO-23. And can you confirm that the CV you provided is accurate? It is accurate to the best of my knowledge. And Dr. Malone, I'm going to ask you to just take a bit of time and, and share with the commissioners your involvement with the mRNA technology, your initial opinion about the mRNA vaccine, and whether or not you changed your mind about it. Uh, my involvement in the platform technology of the use of mRNA for a drug or for vaccine purposes begins in approximately 1987 at the Salk Institute uh, uh, Laboratories of Molecular Virology under Dr. Inder Verma, in which I was investigating the uh, um, relationship of RNA sequence in structure to retroviral packaging. In order to do those studies, I needed to develop a system for uh, producing large quantities of purified mRNA, which had uh, the necessary genetic elements to ensure efficient translation. So I uh, developed that system for manufacturing, purification, and uh, um, uh, demonstration of the sequences necessary. And then, uh, uh, tested that uh, material, that composition of matter, for delivery into a variety of cells using all known uh, delivery methods, including liposomal delivery methods available at the time, none of which were uh, sufficiently efficient to allow any studies of gene expression off of such a RNA and uh, verify the functional aspect of the RNA in cells. and. Uh, then had an opportunity to test a new technology that had been developed at Syntex Laboratories in Palo Alto involving the use of positively charged fats, otherwise known as cationic lipids, and their formulations to form self-assembling particles. These are referred to as self-assembling nanoparticles and are not liposomes. They're very different in composition, but they do involve lipids. Uh, that Once that suite of technologies were assembled, um, and even in anticipation of uh, future studies in collaboration with Centex, I filed patent disclosure for the use of mRNA as a drug and all of its applications from the Salk Institute. I believe that was 87 or 88. I have that document. And then uh, it was countersigned appropriately by a postdoc in the lab and uh, then uh, showed that this would be reduced to practice for purpose of expression in 
all cell types identified at the Salk Institute, including insect cells and human cells and a variety of other sources, and then uh, um, demonstrated that this was uh, able to uh, deliver mRNA into embryos in uh, uh, Xenopus labus. This is the African clawed mo uh, frog model that's commonly used in embryology and create transgenic Xenopus labus embryos or otherwise known as tadpoles. And then in chick embryos, uh, there was an ensuing set of uh, patent disputes between the Salk Institute and the University of California, San Diego, which I was a student at, um, and uh, various professors asserting their uh, primacy or, or involvement in the invention. Um, I left the Salk Institute with a master's having passed my PhD exams in lieu of a PhD uh, after uh, developing PTSD and a nervous breakdown in the midst of the battles over uh, my invention. I then joined a company called Bical, which was uh, initially located across the street from the Salk on Torrey Pines Road in San Diego, and there had a series of additional uh, um, discoveries having to do with both the delivery into mammals in a mouse model, as well as uh, the use of the technology for vaccination purposes and its reduction to practice to elicit immune responses against influenza and AIDS or HIV antigens. I then left uh, Vical and went back and finished my MD and then uh, returned to UC Davis as an assistant professor, obtained uh, uh, about a million and a half dollars in grants uh, to pursue that research and carried on with uh, development and testing of a variety of catenic liposome formulations, including in collaboration with Beringer Monheim and Promega. Uh, some of those compounds ended up uh, being marketed by Promega Many patents uh, came from that, including the nine original patents that were filed between 1990 and 1991 uh, that uh, cover uh, the use of mRNA for drug delivery purposes, as well as for vaccination purposes, and the demonstrated reduction to practice. So uh, I am, in fact, the original inventor and uh, played a key role in the uh, series of inventions, and uh, am a named inventor on all patents uh, relating to these initial discoveries. Uh, so uh, that's that's my contribution. Uh, and and for instance, these uh, patents that are on the wall behind me are examples of uh, those nine issued patents having to do with uh, DNA and RNA. Uh, delivery into mammals and cells for the purpose of eliciting an immune response. This is well documented in all those patents, now, which, by you... the way, were not cited by Moderna in their patent positions, nor apparently by CureVac or uh, um, BioNTech. So there is a failure to cite uh, prior literature on the part of all three of those companies. And if I can just uh, <clears throat> interrupt you, so with that background, uh, with mRNA technology. Can you tell us what your initial opinion towards the COVID-19 vaccines with mRNA va uh, technology was, and then if your opinion changed? 
My uh, initial opinion about uh, all of these genetic vaccines, as well as the standard vaccines that include full-length spike protein, is that they are encoding a toxin. Um, I was very early in uh, um, raising concerns that the spike protein from SARS-CoV-2 is functionally toxic. It is a toxin. And I was particularly alarmed by the uh, reports I was hearing from Canadian physicians, who I will not name because they've been attacked by the uh, uh, Canadian government uh, and had their offices raided. But uh, they reported to me very early on about uh, the uh, enticement, coercion, uh, of particularly of children, uh, to accept these products and uh, also the uh, suppression of information about the adverse events. My initial objections were that uh, when I uh, was notified by a CIA officer who was in Wuhan apparently on January 4th, 2020, of this novel coronavirus and the biologic threat that it represented, I performed as is my usual practice because I am an experienced leader of teams in biodefense and a response to uh, uh, emerging infectious disease. I performed a threat assessment and determined that the most expeditious and highest probability uh, pathway forward to protecting the population from death and disease due to this agent was to focus on repurposed drugs. And I, my determination was the normal pathway for uh, the accepted, the internationally accepted pathway for development of a vaccine that was safe and effective would take far too long, typically many years. When I learned that these products were being advanced as gene therapy technologies, uh, I was well, very well aware of the history of uh, relative uh, effectiveness and safety of adenovirus vectored products, although concerned about such vaccine products employing a full-length spike protein, whether or not it has the two proline mutations that are in these current spikes um, that are used in the adenovirus vectored vaccines. And I was also concerned about the mRNA technology. In particular, it had a long history of uh, inflammation, uh, both uh, within any tissues in which it was administered, uh, and um, the, this had been my experience as an academic researcher. And one of the reasons why I had abandoned this technology was because I could not overcome the toxicity or, or inflammatory responses associated with these uh, lipid uh, mRNA particles, assembled particles. Uh, I Early on, when I learned that this was being advanced as the primary candidate by the United States and others, I contacted uh, the um, uh, University of British Columbia investigator who is behind uh, the most important advances associated with uh, these newer formulations, which are an improvement for in vivo delivery on my original technology platforms, and uh, inquired of him uh, what was the full composition and nature and logic of the uh, formulations that were being advanced clinically, and uh, uh, was reassured by him that the inflammatory problems that I had encountered 
uh, had been resolved with these newer formulations and that they uh, um, had um, solved the problem of tissue targeting by identifying uh, specific cationic lipid structures that would uh, cause the uh, formulations to remain localized in the draining lymph nodes from the tissues from whence uh, at the site of injection. So I was uh, reassured that this was the case. Um, uh, and then uh, um, as, as this new information came out about the, as the vaccines began to be deployed, about the adverse events associated with them and the suppression of those adverse events in a systematic way by the Canadian National Health Service, that's that's when I really became more alarmed and wrote a key paper, I think perhaps the initial paper, concerning uh, the bioethics of what was being done and the failure to provide informed consent uh, and to require informed consent in deploying these products, as well as the coercion that was being uh, deployed by the Canadian by many governments, uh, particularly in the West. And uh, then uh, Dr. Byron Bridal identified the common technical document is the regulatory term, which had been filed by Pfizer with many nation states, including the uh, Canadian government and the US government, but had been placed on a Japanese uh, regulatory authority server and uh, was identified by Dr. Bridal who uh, reviewed it um, and then asked for a second opinion uh, from a news organization called Trial Site News that I had some affiliation with. And those documents were passed to me for my own review and assessment as I'm a regulatory affairs and clinical research, clinical development specialist. And uh, I, I was shocked by what I read uh, in that those documents clearly demonstrated a failure to comply with international and uh, U.S. norms for uh, uh, preclinical assessment of uh, vaccine products and uh, preclinical assessment of gene therapy products, uh, these all being based on gene therapy and so were gene therapy products and remain so. Uh, and Dr. Then, Malone, can I just uh, interject for a second? Yep. Because I, we're going to segue in a, a few minutes. You were going to speak about um, what you describe as fifth-generational warfare. But before we go there, I'm just wondering if you could comment on Canada's policy of using these um, mRNA vaccines on children. So, uh, in my opinion, uh, having studied the data, the risks of... Uh, hospitalized disease and death in children are statistically negligible, approximating zero, uh, very close to the asymptote of zero. So functionally, virtually no risks of the virus in healthy children. Healthy children handle this infection extremely well, but the risks of uh, the vaccine, particularly the mRNA vaccine, all of the genetic vaccine products that express spike protein, as well as those that have uh, pre-manufactured full-length spike protein, have significant risks in children. In particular, those risks are enhanced in young males. Uh, and in particular, 
there is a very clear, unequivocal, well-documented risk of myocarditis that depending on the study, clinical myocarditis event rate in young males is in the range of one in 1,500 to one in 3,000, depending on the study. Um, and the overall event rate for serious adverse events for these products may be as high as, as one in 500. That's uh, events that would cause people to be hospitalized. And clearly, given that there is no uh, uh, significant clinical risk in children uh, associated with the virus itself, the risk-benefit ratio of these products um, uh, to the risk of the uh, virus itself absolutely does not justify vaccination in children. And the, the data indicate that children can be damaged in their brains, in their endocrine system, in their heart, in their reproductive system, and in their immune system responses, particularly there seems to be a dose-dependent effect of these toxicities in children and in adults. Over. Thank you. Can you um, can you share with us your your recent conclusions and research into what you've termed as fifth-generation warfare? Yeah. Give me a moment to uh, arrange the screen because I'm going to have to share uh, um, uh, the screen. One moment. Okay, um, uh, are you seeing uh, a screen, splash screen, that says fifth generation warfare and sovereignty? Yes, we are, and that's on the full screen. Okay, so uh, proceeding with that then. Um, uh, so I'm going to speak now about the basically the psychological operations that have been undertaken by particularly the Five Eyes nations of Great Britain, the United States, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia, and their intelligence communities and military. Referred in the industry to fifth generation warfare. Uh, and in, in the COVID crisis context over the last three years, we have had clearly documented, including in Canada, um, the deployment of military assets, ergo personnel, and their technologies uh, on civilian populations under the logic that it has been necessary to uh, coerce, compel, entice, and otherwise convince the civilian populations to accept these unlicensed medical products that are neither safe nor effective that have been marketed as vaccines but which do not uh, perform as vaccines in the sense that they do not prevent infection, replication, uh, uh, distribution to third parties, uh, disease or death associated with SARS-CoV-2 infection. Um, and so in sum, what has been done to us in terms of the PSYOPs and the general term or the technology deployed is fifth generation warfare. So I'm going to introduce the audience uh, in this testimony 
to fifth generation warfare and its deployment during the COVID crisis. Uh, fifth generation warfare is termed a war of information and perception. Uh, in order to understand it, you need to understand that fifth generation warfare is not a fight over, it's not used for conflict over territory, but rather it is designed for conflicts uh, to influence thought, belief, and emotion. Um, the first example of fifth generation warfare in the modern era that was deployed was uh, Twitter and Facebook having been deployed during Arab Spring in order to influence uh, behavior of crowds uh, during that uh, um, uh, social protest movement in the Middle East. Uh, it is not a perfect example of fifth generation warfare because in fifth generation warfare, the uh, perpetrators, the opposition is is typically unclear. It, it Fifth generation warfare seeks to mask um, the involvement of whoever it is that's waging that conflict. But uh, absolutely, fifth generation warfare was a component of Arab Spring. And during Arab Spring, a key fifth generation warfare device or weapon was deployed, and that is Twitter. Twitter is both a weapon and a battlefield in the uh, new world of fifth generation warfare. Twitter is specifically designed and has capabilities to uh, map and influence behaviors of individuals and crowds and uh, down to the level of mapping their emotions, uh, thoughts, opinions, and their ability to influence others. This is why you experience things like shadow banning or amplification of a given tweet or message on social media is this is typically algorithmically based uh, alterations in the distribution of information and its emotional content to uh, those that are participating in social media platforms. Of course, all these social media platforms have the ability to precisely triangulate individuals in three-dimensional space because of cell tower triangulation. And they are typically integrated in the intelligence community into functions such as Gorgon Stare that provides extremely high resolution imaging of individuals and can be used to target individuals both emotionally, psychosocially, as well as with kinetic weapons if necessary. Over the last three years, Western governments, non-governmental organizations, transnational organizations, and the pharmaceutical industry, together with media and financial corporations, have cooperated via public-private partnerships, such as the Trusted News Initiative, to deploy a massive, globally harmonized psychological and propaganda operation, the largest in the history of the Western world. With this campaign, the governments of many Western nation states have turned military-grade psyops, strategies, tactics, technologies, and capabilities developed for modern military combat against their own citizens. This is well documented and was predicted in a series of classic texts um, and also discussed at length in my latest book, Lies My Government Told Me and the Better Future Coming. It's also these, these methods COVID-19, the Great Reset, and the Great Narrative, Klaus Schwab being the leader of the World Economic Forum. Uh, before fifth 
fourth and fifth generation warfare, modern warfare was a duel on a larger scale or a continuation of politics by other means, with core elements of rationality of the state, probability and military command, and rage of the population, according to Clausewitz in his classic text on war. Today, in the context of fifth generation warfare, there is no clear distinction between state, non-state combatants and civilians. And there is absolutely no um, boundaries in terms of ethics or rules of engagement. It is total unrestricted warfare. Um, it is clear that Western nations, as I mentioned, particularly the Five Eyes nations, have deployed this military-grade PSYOPs technology on their civilians. In many cases, through the operations of uh, military operational groups that are, are trained in PSYOPs. Uh, this includes, for instance, the 77th Brigade in the United Kingdom. That's now public information. Many of this has come out through Freedom of Information and uh, acts and Twitter file disclosures. Um, and uh, it has really been a central feature of governmental um, efforts to uh, manipulate populations and uh, coerce them to accepting uh, the uh, uh, whatever the narrative is promoted by the government and the World Health Organization. Uh, just to put a, a pin on it, um, the uh, U.S. government, through Department of Homeland Security, has defined terms which are equated with domestic terrorism that relate to this, and those are uh, misinformation. That means any information being spread in public which is different from the approved narrative from the regional health authority. So I guess that would be your NHS and the World Health Organization, or in the U.S., that would be our Health and Human Services. Any information which is different from that approved by those agencies is defined as misinformation. If it's spread uh, benignly uh, through ignorance or whatever, that's misinformation. If it's spread for a uh, political intent, that is defined as disinformation. If it's information being shared which is true but causes uh, concerns about government and government integrity, that is called malinformation. All three of those classifications in the United States are defined as domestic terrorism by the Department of Homeland Security. In general, thinking about these uh, concepts of uh, generations of warfare as discrete entities is really misleading. They're more like generations or gradients. Um, first generation being, you know, sticks and stones and uh, swords and mounted combat with lance, lances. Uh, second generation, you can think of as the uh, First World War being a great example, and the American Civil War. Third generation uh, employed the Blitzkrieg, uh, which allowed the decentralization of command authority uh, to the German army, which allowed them with even inferior technology to bypass, for instance, the Maginot Line in France. So third generation is mechanized warfare focused on speed and maneuverability. You can think of the Ukraine conflict as an example of uh, third generation warfare in, in progress. Fourth generation warfare was designed uh, for asymmetric warfare against large state actors. Um, we can think of this as terrorism, uh, or we can think of it as uh, insurgency efforts, 
such as, for instance, uh, the American um, uh, Revolution against Great Britain is an example. But in the modern context, fourth generation warfare deploys both propaganda and battles over territory, including use of kinetic weapons by the likes of Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, uh, various actors in Syria, uh, um, and going back to uh, the Viet Cong. Uh, I argue that the United States military has been uh, has never won a fourth generation conflict. In order to try to overcome that uh, problem of uh, um, the advantages posed by internet and network effects and these insurgency strategies that are highly decentralized in terms of leadership, creating a situation where uh, state actors face kind of a whack-a-mole problem, they've developed a fifth generation warfare, which is based on information and perception uh, manipulation. It does not typically involve non-kinetic weapons, and uh, it is not a battleground over territory, but rather a battleground over your mind and its perceptions and its, its availability of information. Um, so these new tactics have created a totally new battlescape here, um, uh, one that is very Salvador Dali-esque, in which it's very difficult to understand the nature of the conflict, who the combatants are, and uh, typically the combatants uh, that are propagating new disinformation warfare into a population seek to become as obscure as possible and act with as little uh, um, energy as possible. This is a very subtle manipulation of information. It is basically the uh, modern uh, epitome of uh, psychological operations and uh, um, uh, uh, the use of psychology to influence behavior of, of groups and populations. Um, it's, as I say, it's very, very difficult to really come to grips with fifth generation warfare as you begin to understand it. Um, and in particular, because there are absolutely no boundaries in terms of truth, ethics, of manipulation of media, integrity of information, social organizations, etc. It is complete and total information warfare with absolutely no boundaries. This is what's been deployed against your population there in Canada. Um, this type of warfare targets the cognitive biases of individuals and organizations in a very strategic fashion. So we're all familiar with trolls and bots, et cetera, but it's very, diff it's very different. It's, it's concealed, uh, it's, it's impossible to attribute, um, and it uh, focuses on the individual rather than on groups uh, in many cases. It is truly a war of how you think. I argue that in the context of fifth generation warfare, when it is being deployed by governments against their own populations, the concept of sovereignty is irrelevant. It is obsolete. It's an anachronism. There is no sovereignty in an environment in which everything which you obtain in your information space, all of your emotions, Everything is manipulated towards the end of whatever the goals are of the nation state. That is modern 
fifth generation warfare, information warfare, and that is what's been done in Canada. It's well documented. So these are key characteristics of fifth generation warfare. Um, I mentioned Arab Spring. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict was another example. The Havana syndrome, where we had diplomats in the United States in, in Havana, Cuba, that experienced an unknown uh, mental uh, compromise or psychological state uh, after deployment of some sort of unknown energy weapon is a clear, explicit example of fifth generation warfare. It was targeted, it was effective, and there is no um, knowledge of what caused that effect or who was deploying it on the American diplomats. Perfect example of fifth generation warfare. I mentioned the concept of, of sovereignty. Uh, what is world health when public health policy and pharmaceutical interventions are transformed into just another fifth generation warfare weapon? How can a democratic system of government continue to exist if the existing uh, leadership of a nation state deploys, feels that it's acceptable to deploy these types of technologies on their own population? As I said, the idea of sovereignty becomes uh, irrelevant. These are examples in the lay press uh, from Canada and the UK documenting the uh, deployment of military campaigns involving fifth generation psychological warfare and information warfare against the Canadian population. When you say conducting propaganda during the pandemic, this is fifth generation warfare. This is what was deployed on you by your own military. This is from the Canadian Joint Operations Command, etc. As you notice in this uh, article um, by David Pugano uh, in one of your uh, uh, lay press publications, um, this plan devised by the Canadian Joint Operations Command relied on propaganda techniques similar to those employed during the Afghanistan war. In other words, that's a euphemism. They deployed the fifth generation warfare technology uh, designed to combat the Taliban against you, the civilians of the Canadian of Canada. Now, this is an example of one of the battle groups in the United States, uh, the fourth psychological operations group uh, based in Fort Bragg. This is a recruitment video just to give you a sense of the nature of this technology. This is the group that was developed from the ghost army of World War II that uh, was used to uh, fake the German army about the uh, um, landing um, at the end of the war. demonstration in China comes to a violent and bloody end. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Wolves hiding nearby Whispering do or die Around me
another very important phase of warfare. It has as its target, not the body, but the mind of the enemy. The target of psychological warfare is against the enemy's mind. It is words and ideas. The ammunition used by Cywar. Its mission is to influence the thoughts of the enemy soldiers. And at the same time, is expected and encouraged to study foreign languages and the social sciences such as history, economics, and sociology. He must have a broad and sympathetic understanding of all phases of human experience. Gripping at my skin, the walls of night close in. Oh, but the use of this force as an integral part of combat has now taken on new form. I hope that convinces you that this is a real uh, process, threat, and technology. It, As I mentioned, it's deployed in the United States, in Great Britain, through the 77th Brigade. One of the members of the 77th Brigade is actually a member of Parliament. Um, and obviously in Canada, as documented by your own press, and New Zealand and Australia, all part of the Five Eyes Alliance. There are a series of core technologies that are used. Um, one of them is the OODA loop, which is also a core strategy, for instance, in fighter pilots uh, currently, in which there are very rapid response cycles uh, to new information. Um, another key technology and concept is the Milgram experiment, in which uh, people were subjected to shock uh, um, surreptitiously, not actually. Uh, and it demonstrated the willingness of individuals to uh, deploy um, uh, potentially life-threatening shocks if authority figures told them to. Another example is the ASH experiment, in which it was demonstrated the, that the effects of social pressure can cause a, a person to conform to uh, the willingness of, or the interests of uh, authority figures or organizations. Um, people are willing to ignore reality in order to conform to a group. This also relates to the work of Hannah Arndt, Eust Malors, and most recently Matthias Desmet uh, involving mass psychosis or mass formation 
or mass hypnosis are all three equivalent words. Another example is the Operation Lockstep, the idea of using a pandemic to impose tighter top-down control modeled after the Chinese social credit system, which has been foretold and evaluated in a, in a variety of uh, um, uh, planning documents and analysis documents by the Rockefeller Foundation and the U.S. intelligence community. I've mentioned Five Eyes Alliance uh, multiple times here. I don't think I need to cover it again. You're aware that Canada is part of the uh, most powerful and longest standing intelligence organization in the history of the West. Uh, you may not understand that, for instance, Wikipedia is very actively edited by individuals who are tightly associated with MI5. The What we have is reciprocal relationships between the Five Eyes Alliance countries in which, for instance, things that are prohibited from being performed by the Canadian Intelligence Service or the American Intelligence Service are performed as tasks by, say, Australian or United Kingdom intelligence services, which are not prohibited from uh, taking those types of actions against civilian populations in other Five Eyes Alliance member states. Another key concept is the Overton window, which is the range of political of policies which are politically acceptable for discussion known as the window of discourse, and fifth-generation warfare methods seek to actively manipulate the Overton window for strategic and tactical advantage. So, for instance, when you experience the uh, uh, fact-checkers, quote-unquote, or the uh, censorship, uh, um, shadow banning, etc., on um, social media because you are communicating something like the slide deck from the Canadian COVID Care Alliance that technically accurately discussed the nature of the Pfizer clinical trials, that is a clear example of uh, third-party actors constraining the Overton window, making it so that these things are not socially acceptable to be discussed. This is a key strategy and tactic in fifth-generation warfare. Another one is the exploitation of cognitive biases associated and described as the Dunning-Kruger effect, the relationship between act average performance and average social actual performance on a college. So self-perceived performance, in other words, the difference between what people think they are able to perform and their intelligence levels and their true capabilities. People have a strong tendency to always overestimate their ability to assess information and their own intelligence. And this is actively exploited using fifth generation warfare technology. Another example is bad jacketing or snitch jacketing. This is this common strategy that we're seeing deployed and has been deployed for decades, for instance, by the FBI to create suspicion and division within organizations that are resistance group. Um, and what's done is to seed the idea that members of the group are, are um, bad actors, that they uh, in some way are uh, actually um, acting on behalf of a third party, typically the state or the intelligence community. Um, and so this is uh, often uh, referred to as uh, um, controlled opposition. That's the, that's the typical strategy that's, that's uh, propagated into a population is uh, somebody who is uh, um, being very effective as a leader within a protest group or organization 
then uh, rumors being spread about them that they are actually acting on behalf of the opponents, the state or whomever. And this is a, another video prepared by Mickey Willis that describes uh, bad jacketing. It's called Our Birthright, and it's another example of the fifth generation warfare technologies that have been actively deployed, uh, including in Canada during the trucker uh, strike event. I've been a human rights activist for almost 20 years. As a documentary filmmaker, I've been on the front lines of many of our nation's biggest scandals and protests. From that perspective, I've been an eyewitness to the rise and fall of numerous people-powered movements. Nearly every organized resistance I've been a part of has ended just inches from victory for the same critical mistake, infighting, when members of the same group turn against each other. It often begins with whispers about the most prominent spokespeople of the cause. These rumors typically sound like, I hear John is controlled opposition, or some people are saying Jane is compromised. While the use of infiltrators and agitators is a very real thing, I've yet to experience one scenario where such a label was accurately applied. And suspiciously, these labels are always branded on the people who are making the most progress. With the degradation of their reputation goes their contribution to your life. Prior to social media, people actually sat down to dialogue through their differences. Today, without solid evidence or sufficient inquiry, we go directly to our keyboards to vent our suspicions. Even after the rumor is proven false or simply fades away, some level of doubt and division always remains. This is all by design. Part of what allowed so many people to walk away from Assange was some of the Me Too allegations mm -hmm. that had surfaced and that were ultimately discredited, stuck in people's minds. The voices of propaganda are masterful at this game. They knowingly run a false story, then retract it, knowing the lie will reach millions, but very few will see the correction. Amy Coney Barrett's religious faith is being called into question again. She belongs to this People of Praise a group, which the Southern Poverty Law Center has labeled them a hate group. When I stated that People of Praise had been deemed a hate group, I just got them mixed up with another group. I conflated them. Ah, okay. Yeah, that happens, you know, it's easy to do. In the words of former CIA director William Casey, we'll know that our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. The planting of divisive rumors is one of the most common tactics used in psychological warfare. As the lies bloom, like worker bees, well-intended citizens pollinate the masses with poisonous disinformation. What the gossiping bees fail to realize is that they themselves are doing the work of controlled opposition. They are literally, unwittingly, working on behalf of the very forces they believe they are resisting. Again, all of this is by design. While we've all been distracted by the latest trends and tragedies, everything that has influence on our behavior has been infiltrated by an agenda to control our thoughts. Whether their goal is to make us purchase a product, vote for a political party, or submit there are forces at work who understand the functionalities of your mind far better than you do. Their goal is total control. But because they are the few and we are the many, they can only achieve total control through the age-old tactic of divide and conquer. You're either with them or with us. Never before have we been so divided. Divided by politics, religion, nation, state, race, class, gender, and now, vaccine status. To better understand how we got here, Consider these three quotes from The Art of War by Sun Tzu. The supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Victorious warriors win first and then go to war. The secret lies in confusing the enemy 
so that he cannot fathom our real intent. Though Sun Tzu lived over 2,500 years ago, his work remains at the heart of our CIA as well as the Chinese Communist Party's strategy today. It's no coincidence that around the same era as Sun Tzu, the words, united we stand, divided we fall, were first recorded. It is unity that will save our communities. As you see in the audience, Muslims, Christians, Jewish community, Democrats, Republicans, white, black, everyone all in between, this is the example of what you get when you choose to attack all members of the human family. Our greatest power is our numbers, hence the relentless effort to shatter us into broken fragments. As their agendas are being exposed, the dividers will stop at nothing to cover their crimes against humanity. They have bunkers. All we have is each other. The good news is, that's all we need. Though we are intrinsically interconnected, our minds are being wired to obsess on our differences. Contrary to social indoctrination, we do not have to be ideologically aligned to stand together. We don't even have to like each other. There is only one thing that we must agree on, that freedom is our birthright. Now is the time to let go of whatever it is you're holding on to that keeps you divided from your friends, family, and fellow humans. Rise above all the micro-dramas and distractions to see that a much bigger story is unfolding. Swallow your pride, humble yourself, let it go. I'm not suggesting that we look the other way when someone is clearly thwarting our forward momentum. There are people who deserve to be called out by name, especially those who are undermining our trust in each other. But even then, we should remember that there is a human life being affected by our words. We've been so conditioned to believe we are powerless that we've become careless with our power, like toddlers with loaded guns. How many times do we need to shoot our own foot till we realize that the power is in our hands? The only thing that can stop us at this point is us. We've all been lied to, scammed, fooled, tricked, conned, and coerced. Yes, it sucks. But here we are, wiser and stronger than we were just three years ago. This is the moment for us to activate our innate ability to create solutions. That can only happen through the awareness of symbiosis, defined as a mutually beneficial relationship between different groups. All of life depends on relationships. Every living thing is in communication, from the stars, to the planets, the earth, the plants, the elements, the insects, the animals, the humans, and every cell within us. Real change out there begins with real change inside. The question is, how bad does it have to get before we're willing to change? So, uh, sorry about that you didn't uh, get adequate volume. I uh, hope you could understand most of that. The point is that these are the technologies that have been deployed and continue to be deployed against us. There are third parties that have been clearly identified as uh, disruptors who were involved in disruption of the Canadian trucker protests, um, as, as well as the American trucker protests. We do have infiltrators. They are using these technologies they appear to be state actors um, that are working as subcontractors. How can we defend ourselves against this? Um, we can basically learn the technologies, and when we do so, we become resistant to them, just like we're more resistant to modern marketing technology, which is very closely related. 
And as we master the technologies and understand them more deeply, we can begin to deploy them ourselves rather than just being victims. There are many offensive ways to uh, use this, and there are many different offensive ways that they're used against us through chaos agents, generation of fake uh, sock puppets, bot trolls, flash mobs, etc., and of course the aggressive deployment of censorship, gaslighting, and and uh, other technologies which are used particularly on social media and in uh, uh, corporate media, um, often with uh, sponsorship from uh, uh, governments, including your own government, as I've mentioned. So I conclude this talk then about fifth generation warfare with the suggestion there that you seek out the variety of different sources of literature that provide more information about this. And of course, we've written about it extensively in our book, The Lies My Government Told Me, as well as in our Substack, rwmalonemd.substack.com, if you wish to understand more about fifth generation warfare, nudge technology, and the associated psyops that are deployed in Twitter and other social media platforms. With that, I thank you for your time. Uh, and uh, let's see, I need to stop sharing. Yes, if you can return to view of you, I think our commissioners yeah. likely have a few questions for you. Trying, trying to get there. <laughs> there we go, we can okay, see you. So we should be back. And thank you for your attention. Thank you very much, Dr. Malone, for your fantastic testimony. When I understand it, we, we, you did a journey from the science and the technology and how the science and the technology is being deployed for all kinds of applications, some of which we can actually question, as you mentioned in the end. So if I can come back to science and technology, because I'm a scientist. I was working in gene therapy in the early 90s, and I've, yes. I've been following your work. Um, if we can come back to, if we can explain to what extent the science, for example, of the mRNA technology has not been developed to the level that would justify its use in, I would say at this point, all kinds of application, including the COVID vaccine, but now they want to move it in many other type of application. It is my understanding, based on the latest result that has been published on the quality or lack thereof of the product produced at large scale under so-called GMP, which we can question the quality. Uh, do you think, based on your ex expertise on the technology, that this product can actually be produced anytime soon under large-scale and GMP quality, irrespective of what kind of vaccine you might be proposing? Okay, so your question is basically, to use regulatory terminology, you're speaking about adulteration, uh, potency, purity, and identity of the uh, medical product, the biological medical product, which has been marketed to us as a vaccine. Do I understand you correctly? Yeah, exactly. My question is, in your expert opinion, are we ready to produce these products under compliant GMP? And if not, are we? what would it take to get there? So uh, we have been told that the uh, 
products are compliant with GMP, but it has not been disclosed uh, to the general public the contents of the uh, material and its composition, uh, the manufacturing process, and I'm not aware of what the release criteria are. I do know that there have been multiple independent assessments, and I'll, let's park that for a minute. Uh, I want to come back to that. There have been multiple independent assessments that document, for instance, uh, quite a significant concentration of contaminating plasma DNA in these uh, preparations, which suggests that the uh, purification process to remove the plasma DNA template for the manufacturing of the mRNA has been, uh, the most gently, gentle way I could put it would be inadequate. Uh, contamination of DNA in vaccines has long been a problem, no matter what the source, for instance, live attenuated or uh, purified subunit uh, influenza vaccines also have problems with contaminating DNA from cell lines or from egg embryo, from chick embryos, for example. So there is absolutely, uh, based on the independent assessments, there's significant contamination of plasma DNA, and it's been reported that that DNA in the case of the bivalent products includes a full-length plasma that includes uh, uh, simian virus 40 sequences, mm -hmm. including promoter enhancers, and I'm not clear about replication origins. Uh, in addition, it's very clear from the analyses that the mRNA transcripts present in these preparations of uh, gene therapy products used for vaccination are often truncated. It's, it's basically impossible with T7 RNA polymerase to prevent the uh, premature termination of the growing chain of mRNA. So one ends up with a uh, composition of matter that has uh, um, significant contamination with uh, um, sub-full-length uh, uh, transcripts, uh, which may have their own biologic properties, and the proteins that they encode may have their own biologic properties. In terms of the overall formulations, clearly this technology uh, de developed at the University of British Columbia in large part um, uh, is is not as advertised. It does not remain at the site of injection. It does not remain in the draining lymph nodes. It is not targeted. In fact, it is uh, generally distributed throughout the body and seems to have some uh, particular affinity as a formulation of the product uh, for a variety of tissues and organs that uh, are associated with significant uh, pathology and this includes brain, heart, and most uh, worrisome reproductive tissues, including ovaries. We have uh, the inadvertent uh, um, disclosure by a uh, Pfizer uh, global director recently uh, with Project Veritas that Pfizer believes, for instance, that the uh, reproductive complications associated with the vaccines, ergo the dysmenorrhea and menometrorrhagia, uh, that women uh, commonly experience uh, is actually due to damage to the, in their words, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal gonadal axis. That's another way of saying damage to the endocrine system, 
uh, and this is apparently a leading hypothesis at Pfizer for these uh, female reproductive consequences. And of course, uh, women are not the only ones that have an endocrine system. Uh, and this is not restricted just to adult females. Particularly worrisome is the prospects that these materials may be damaging the uh, endocrine system of developing children, in my opinion. Uh, um, we also have the uh, toxicity, which is unresolved and never assessed to date, of the uh, pseudo-mRNA itself. The composition of matter of this material that is being synthesized chemically through a, a basically an enzymatic reaction uh, in, substitutes the normal uridine for pseudouridine. Pseudouridine is a molecule present in very precise places in natural mRNA, but it is not typically incorporated into all of the uridine-coated uh, um, uh, components of the uh, mRNA molecule or, or messenger ribonucleic acid molecule. Um, pseudouridine is uh, typically very, very selectively modified in cells in our bodies rather than being incorporated wholesale throughout the RNA. This is the invention of Carrico and Weissman that's used in all of the uh, marketed or distributed mRNA-based vaccine products. Uh, and it, the reason why the pseudouridine was incorporated was because of the problem that I mentioned previously. These formulations are highly inflammatory. Mm. And the incorporation of pseudouridine into mRNA acts through uh, various cellular uh, signaling pathways to downregulate inflammation and immune response. Unfortunately, that has two aspects. Downregulating the inflammatory and immune response is good in the sense of reducing the effects uh, of the formulation itself on inflammation, but bad in that it's nonspecific. So we do know that for whatever reason, these products, when administered, these uh, um, uh, biological medical products uh, marketed as vaccines, um, are eliciting damage to immune responses. And we can, we can observe that because one of the common adverse events is the reactivation of latent DNA viruses, such as Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus, and shingles, of course, uh, which are common adverse events associated with the uh, post-vaccination syndrome. So in short, what we have is clear evidence of unresolved and inadequately characterized toxicity associated with the um, uh, delivery formulation, with the mRNA itself, and with the encoded payload spike None of these were characterized in the way that is normally prescribed in uh, well-established regulatory processes in terms of characterizing the potential toxicity of all components of a final drug product. And the presence of these contaminants of DNA and sub-transcript uh, mRNAs are clear evidence of adulteration in the final product. Unfortunately, uh, the contract clauses of Pfizer and Moderna have been such that there has been, in general, globally, a restriction on the ability of national health authorities to perform lot release testing and characterize these contaminants. And so uh, governments throughout the world and their regulatory authorities have basically 
uh, caved to pressure from the pharmaceutical industry to bypass their normal processes in ensuring uh, purity, potency, um, uh, and lack of, of uh, um, contamination uh, in, in the products that have been administered often through uh, mandates or other forms of coercion or compulsion, they, they have bypassed uh, their own norms. And so we're not able to really verify in a rigorous way, in a way that would normally be performed, whether or not these products are adulterated. But the current evidence suggests that they are significantly alter, uh, adulterated. And the data are clear that they are neither safe nor effective. Over. And Dr. Maloney, thank you. And does the commissioners have any other questions of Dr. Malone? Yes, there's, so there's another question. And Dr. Malone, we are very tight on time, so I'll ask if you can be very succinct in answering the questions. Uh, thank you, Dr. Malone. Um, we've had a number of witnesses talk about uh, COVID-19 and how they recognized at a very early point in the pandemic that the disease targeted or perhaps that's not the right term, but certain people, certain stratification of the population were more susceptible. In other words, if you were obese or if you were elderly, they told us that uh, you are more susceptible to the disease. My question is really focused at the second part of your of your presentation, and that is, when you talk about these fifth generation techniques, are they stratified in the population? In other words, have you seen markers that show that it's more younger people or older people, higher population density portions of the country are more susceptible to this technique? Than okay, I cannot. I'm not a. I'm not a. My, this is not my core competence. Uh, psychology. This is not what I was trained in, or psychoanalysis. Uh, others have had that training. I can tell you definitively that there was a study, a randomized clinical trial with a six-month follow-up of approximately 600 subjects in 10 different groups performed by Yale University. Uh, the funding for that was not disclosed before the vaccines were ever available, that piloted uh, various messaging strategies and tested whether they were effective at different populations in terms of uh, the messaging regarding uh, um, uh, uh, generating a willingness to accept these vaccine products and to influence other parties to accept these vaccine products. I've documented that both in Substack, it's a published peer-reviewed paper, and in my book. So there absolutely is evidence that these uh, um, campaign tactics of, for instance, uh, speaking about um, guilt, social obligations, risks to the elderly and grandparents, etc were absolutely tested in a randomized clinical trial prospectively in order to generate the message content that was deployed uh, throughout the Western world to uh, convince, compel, and entice uh, different populations to accept these products. And in particular, the logic that it was necessary to vaccinate children in order to protect the elders. Over. Thank you, Dr. Malone. I have nothing else. Anyone else? Dr. Malone, it's truly been an honor to have uh, you join us today. 
And on behalf of the uh, National Citizens Inquiry, we thank you so very much for attending and sharing with us. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope it was helpful, and I wish you the best of luck there in Canada. Thank you.